Hello, everybody. We are excited to announce our partnership with Homefield Apparel through the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football Podcast Network. Homefield has launched their North Texas Apparel line as they continue to expand their growing collection uh, that is now over 150 teams across the country. Obviously, this is a huge deal for us as we are incredibly excited to give y'all a discount code for y'all's orders as y'all go in there and see what they got and obviously uh, buy things just based off Twitter. Y'all will be doing plenty of that. The discount code is MGREEN, which gives first-time customers 15% off and for returning customers 10% off. Again, the discount code is MGREEN for those watching. Let's put it up on the screen, Colin. Mm-hmm. Uh, that code works for any purchase of home field, even if it's not North Texas specific. Home field is obviously uh, one of the major apparel lines in the entire country. It's dedicated to diving into the archives and history of each school to discover unique designs that make them perfect for showing off your school pride as college football returns. Colin, what, what do you think of home field apparel? Yeah, I mean, I feel like as all North Texas fans, we've been waiting for a moment like this in a long time. Obviously, home field apparel seems to have the hookup for us. I mean, I'm really, really excited to get my hands on some of those designs that they got. As Bruni already said, they don't just have the generic, you know, North Texas. It's It dives into what makes a school special, which I think I'm the most excited for. So you'll be seeing some of that on the podcast if y'all, y'all are watching. You'll be seeing yeah. us wearing some of that stuff. Definitely. If you're interested, visit the Homefield website at homefieldapparel.com. It's super easy, and you can access their wide-ranging selection of, of teams. Shop at Homefield and use our discount code MGREEN at checkout to get your discount. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Green Room Podcast. I'm Matthew Bruni, and today joining me is Steve Helwick, college football writer for SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Steve, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. We're in July, just one month to college football season, already looking at those week zero, week one games, and can't get more excited about them. Yeah, it's almost August. I consider August the the real start because everybody starts off fall camp, and so then we really start getting into the, the weeds, but July is an interesting time because a lot of people you know some people take vacations all this stuff i use it to try to get to know the schedule a lot better like i'm doing that with my lsu stuff north texas stuff everything and so when we looked at this schedule the american athletic conference schedule specifically it's like all right how are we going to get to know all these teams in a brief amount of period here so i thought why not find a guy that covers G5 football, the American, all that stuff. So I want to talk the American Athletic Conference schedule with you. Um, We'll get into that in a bit. But I guess to start off, what are your overall thoughts? Look, AAC, obviously, um, losing those top four or top three is substantial, but you replace it with six Conference USA teams. So it's maybe not as top heavy, but I think from a depth perspective, it's still pretty competitive. I would agree with that. The thing about the AAC is it pretty much has an automatic New Year Six Bowl bid because that group of five bid has gone to the AAC every single year since 2017. Uh, The last non-AAC team to make it to the New Year Six was 2016 Western Michigan, which had to go undefeated Mm. and have a not as great AAC champion, a Temple team that came in with three, four losses that year won the conference. So it's been a while since the AAC didn't have that New Year six bid. And I'm wondering if that could be in jeopardy this year, considering the rise of the Sun Belt. We've seen the Sun Belt be pretty top heavy in recent years with Troy, South Alabama playing really well last year. James Madison Coastal. and Louisiana's been good in recent years. Coastal Carolina has had some double digit win seasons under Jamie Chadwell before he left. So I'm wondering if the AAC still has that bid this year. Now I think that they will have two teams in the preseason AP top 25, and that would be an incumbent member in Tulane and a new member in UTSA who returns a lot from a team that's won two straight CUSA championships. So I do think that the AAC does have some of those top teams that can compete for that New Year Six Bowl this year. And overall, I would say the depth is good. There's some teams, Memphis's and SMU's that return that I feel like should get around the at least seven, eight, nine win range this Mm -hmm. year. So it's an interesting conference to look at as a whole. And then at the bottom, you have your Charlottes and South Florida's are teams that are trying to work the transfer portal, maybe build on, maybe build on something after having a few losing seasons in a row. So it's an interesting conference adding 
about half of the conference is new members, about six out of the 14 teams. So yeah. it's definitely a transient time for college football and for this conference as a whole. So I think this season and seeing the schedule play out will be pretty interesting. I like how you brought up naturally just the comparison of this American to the American conference to um, the Sun Belt because that was actually something I'd written down for later in the podcast, but we can just jump to it right now. It's the Sun Belt to me, obviously, they have some former uh, Conference USA schools as well with Marshall. Um, Old Dominion's over there too, right? Yeah, um, Southern Miss. And Southern Miss, there's the other one. Um, so it, it's an interesting dynamic where you have the Conference USA schools kind of splitting and going this other way. I will say from the American perspective, North Texas specifically, you're looking at, we're looking at it as, all right, there's no more like UTEPs, LaTeX, um, you know, th- those bottom kind of teams as much. Now, like you said, Rice and Charlotte, um, I don't know a ton about USF, but obviously they've gone through their stretches of, you know, Charlie Strong and other coaches. But um, still, overall, it's – I feel like the middle of it, like even working to the top where East Carolina should be a competitive team every year, and we'll go through the schedule, North Tech schedule in a bit. But, like, if FAU can get back to – not even where they were under Lane Kiffin, but – to an eight win, seven, eight win program. I think there's enough talent in Florida to be competitive. I don't know anything about how consistent Navy is as a program. Temple, I don't know anything about. Uh, so th- that's kind of where my knowledge is. Tulsa, I know a little bit about, but overall that's kind of where my knowledge is of the uh, American right now. I think that's where a lot of North Texas fans are. Yeah, and some of those teams, Navy you mentioned earlier, that was a team that was very consistent. They had the same coach for almost two decades, and Ken Niamatololo decided to go in a different direction this offseason and hiring their defensive coordinator, Brian Newberry, to succeed him. So there's certainly – there's a lot of coaching changes in this conference this year, especially with the new teams. You have four of the six new teams replacing coaches. Only UTSA's Jeff Trailer and Rice's Mike Bloomgren Mm -hmm. return for the team teams that are transitioning from the CUSA. Then you have South Florida getting Alex Golish uh, from Tennessee, who ran that Josh Heupel style offense there. So there's going to be about half the conference is new coaches this year, which makes for an interesting development. Tulsa is another team. They had Philip Montgomery kind of spinning wheels for a year. Other than that 2020 pandemic season, they never really got off the ground after 2016. So they have Kevin Wilson, the former Indiana coach, who is an offensive coordinator at Ohio State, replacing him. So there are a lot of new coaches competing in this conference. So that's one thing advantage that Willie Fritz and Jeff Trailer have in their contender programs is they have continuity, not just with the roster personnel, but they have continuity with the coaching staff. So you have a lot of teams that are starting fresh this year, not only in terms of a new conference, a new look conference, but in a new coaching staff. I know you wrote a story on the the six incoming Conference USA schools. Which one intrigues you the most? And you can pick any. You don't have to pick North Texas because we'll talk about North Texas plenty. But which one intrigues you the most of, of the incoming Conference USA schools? Well, UTSA is a team that I just think is a contender. And I think I know what UTSA is. But a team that probably I would say intrigues me the most is FAU. That was a team that missed the bowl game. They had Willie Taggart for three seasons and they did not have a winning record once under the Taggart era. But I think this is a team that could actually compete for the conference title this year. I won't put them in the Tulane UTSA category yet, maybe not even SMU category, but I really like a lot of what FAU has. Tom Herman, he's succeeded everywhere he went. He never had a losing season at Texas, and the coaches on either side of him, Charlie Strong and uh, Steve Sarkeesian, can't claim the same thing. And he has had a New Year's Six Bowl victory within two years on the job in both Texas and Houston. He is no stranger to quick turnarounds at his programs. He's coming with a quarterback he's really familiar with, Casey Thompson. He was a pretty good quarterback despite playing on teams with losing records the last two years in Texas and Nebraska. I thought Thompson was a pretty good quarterback, and I think he's going to be a really helpful piece to jumpstart this FAU offense. I love their backfield, Larry McCannon. And Kobe Lewis, two guys that have had 1,000-yard seasons in the past. And LeJonte Wester is a really good number one receiving option. FAU's offensive line, they they were pretty good last year, allowing less than 1.2 sacks per game. They returned about two and a half of those starters. 
I like everything that's going in their direction on offense. They've done the transfer portal really well there. Defensively, there's some work to be done. They didn't really have a strong linebacking core last year. There was a lot to be desired in the front seven for FAU. They didn't really have a premier pass rusher either. So I want to see more growth from them on a defensive perspective in that area. But overall, I do think that FAU just with offensive offense alone can really be a team that competes in this new look AAC despite not having a winning record for the last three years. Yeah, it feels like FAU is always going to have the talent. That's that's the the hard part is that when you're in Florida like that, they're just you saw Lane Kiffin run in there and just get all the talent, and then just he's a great coach too, so it helps. But um, I'm interested to see that. All right, we're going to go through the schedule in a bit, but before we do that, uh, I do want your thoughts on North Texas as a program, as a market, on them joining the, a- the AAC and just what you kind of think of them as a team at this point because I like getting outside, you know, opinions um, to what, you know, we watch every day. Well, I thought – I remember there was a time in the Seth Luttrell era around 2018 where I really thought North Texas could – there was a point I think that season where I thought they were going to go undefeated. It was either 2018 or 17 and maybe compete for a new year six spot. Then 2019 really felt like a huge disappointment to go four and eight that year when they might've been projected first or second in the preseason CUSA poll. So with Mason fine in that team, they seem to have so much going for them. Then the last few years, North Texas has just made slow improvements but it wasn't enough for Seth Luttrell to keep his job. I was really impressed by the team's poise in that 2021 season to go from one and six to make a bowl game after that. And then last year they started off uh, the middle of the season, I think went pretty well as they made this USA title game before losing to UTSA in there. And then they were pretty competitive in that Frisco bowl 35, 32 against Boise state last year before they, before the the floodgates opened and all the transfers left and, I thought the team did a really good job of staying together through that. But North Texas in the present, I'm a a bit intrigued by them. They don't have Austin Ani anymore. I liked some of Chandler Rogers' game at ULM. He'll be surrounded by a lot more talent this year, I feel like, at North Texas. And I I think Rogers could be a pretty good quarterback uh, for that number one role. Now they lost a couple transfers, Jair Shorter, Jake Roberts, that I think were huge pieces on offense. And my biggest question for North Texas this season is what's the passing game going to look like? Because last year, North Texas needed a top 40 passing game. I felt like to complement that running game in order to be a 500 team because the defense was pretty atrocious. They were, I think bottom 10, bottom 15 in total defense with ranking 110th or below in both passing and rushing defense. So they didn't really have, advantages on either side they lose their best defender in kd davis so i have a lot of questions on what this defense is going to look like under a new defensive coordinator after phil bennett leaves so i'm a bit skeptical on north texas on the defensive end i mean I, they still have i think two first team all usa talents amazing richards and rich Teada. so they do have the foundation to work with I really need to see more from the linebacker room, especially the de- after the departure of KD Davis to know, get a good grasp on this defense. But if there's one thing that gives me hope about North Texas this season, I think their running game can be a top 20 unit. Again, you have all four of those running backs in that stable returning yeah. and Ragsdale, Idei, Isaiah Johnson, Oscar Attaway. I can't believe not one went to the transfer portal. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> They're starting caliber running backs, I feel like, for a lot of schools. And we've seen all of them have their own shine before. And all of them are running it back in this four-horse stable. So I think this rushing attack is something that can get North Texas really off the ground and get them a few wins this year. Because I have some question marks in other areas just because there's so much turnover with the roster and with the Mm -hmm. coaching staff. And their only coach that they really retained was their running backs coach. Yeah. The interesting thing to me is Seth Luttrell's offenses after Mason Fine were run first, run heavy, you know, kind of play action stuff off of that. That's why they had these big receivers that like Jair Shorter that had like 23 catches for 12 touchdowns. Um, So and now they still have that kind of personnel where it's geared to the run game a little bit. Their receiving core is good. They have some guys that will step up uh, a new look quarterback there. But like this is a different coach with a different scheme, right? And so now with Morris 
as the coach, how is he going to use this personnel to, you know, mold it into his style of offense? Because, you know, at Incarnate Word, Washington State, like all of that, he was very much a quarterback guy, right? He's Patrick Mahomes coach. He was, uh, he's a quarterback guy. So how is he going to use these running backs? Like how, I'm interested to see how the balance is between run and pass with, with Morris specifically. Yeah. Especially yeah, as a Mike Gleach disciple, as you mentioned, exactly. see what the passing attempts looks like per game, because they had an offense kind of similar to UAB. It felt like where you'd have receivers have stat lines, like, four catches, 125 yards, and two touchdowns exactly. a game. And that was kind of what uh, Darren Henshaw did at UAB last year, which just a lot of running attack with – they had Dwayne McBride. And then when it was passed, it was just fly routes, deep posts, just going for the home run ball. So I'm wondering if North Texas this year kind of favors more of a shorter passing game as we've seen with Mike Leach teams as Eric Morris comes from that background – and see how Roderick Burns and company kind of adjust to that. Yeah. All right, let's go through the schedule. Um, we're going to go through the AAC schedule. You've already hit on a couple of these teams pretty well. Uh, so, you know, you don't have to rehash everything you said about them. Um, but here's the eight-game schedule. I will just go team by team real quick. You can give your thoughts, you know, what, you, how good you think they're going to be this year. And um, we'll, we'll go from there. So we'll start with Navy. Um, you already kind of touched on it, but what are your thoughts on Navy this year? I don't think we'll see much of a change in scheme with Kenny Matalolo leaving. They're going to run the triple option still. This is a team that was pretty sound on defense last year, and their defensive coordinator, Brian Newberry, becomes their head coach. I think they return eight starters on defense, and they still have their quarterback and running back combo, uh, Daba Fafana, who should be one of the better running backs in the AAC is he's their feature guy in the triple option. So I do think that Navy is going to retain a lot of the talent they had last year. I mean, it's not a college that involves a transfer portal much. But yeah. Navy's been really intriguing to me because they come out slow every single season, and then they'll catch teams by surprise. They beat UCF last year. They came within three points of Notre Dame. They were a team that – they lost to an FCS team, Delaware, to start the season. We remember in 2020 when they lost to – they lost to, uh, who was it? A BYU on the opener, oh, yeah. 50, 55 to three. And then the next year, they lost to Marshall on the opener, 49 to seven. So this is a team that's really come out slow. So you don't get them at the optimal time. You get them first week of October instead. So Navy's always a team that can catch teams by surprise. It's never a clear win. And we saw that when they went to Orlando last year and took out UCF just by having a strong defense and possessing the ball and killing time of possession. So those offenses that want to run quick, up-tempo, don't really do a good job against Navy because their offenses aren't on the field too long if they want to run the style they want to. Yeah, and there's there's so much about North Texas that we don't know, so it's hard to like predict, predict matchups and stuff like this. But when North Texas fans go through this schedule, I think a lot of them, including myself to a degree, is like, all right, they're, they got to beat Navy, got to beat Navy, got to beat Temple, you know, got to beat Tulsa, Tulsa. Um, and that'll get you to three wins right there. And maybe you can win one more. You go four and four. Like the, the overall goal, I think, this year of North, of North Texas fans to go like three and five in this conference slate. And we'll get to the rest from here. But it's, it's interesting starting with Navy because, like you said, Navy could very well – this is on the road at Navy, first of all. And Navy could very well pick off North Texas right there. And then you start off 0-1 and you have – a brutal slate for the rest of the schedule uh, coming up. But all right, next is Temple, a team who, like I said, I don't know anything about Temple. Um, I mean, in the American, on the East Coast. Uh, so what, what, what do you got on Temple? Temple's my dark horse this year. Oh, I'm, super, <laughs> I'm super intrigued by Temple, and it starts with their quarterback play. I think this could be a top 10 passing offense in college football this year. The quarterback EJ Warner is Kurt Warner's son. Mm-hmm. Last last year was really last year was he was a true freshman, and I remember I was covering that UCF game in Orlando when they lost seventy to thirteen. You're probably thinking you can't make good takeaways from a team that loses seventy to thirteen, but the way he looked as a passer in the first half, I could t- tell something special was on the rise there. Some of the throws he was making, he finished that game with twenty four forty three, two hundred thirty four yards, a touchdown without an interception. 
Yeah. Temple had a really horrible run game last year. I think they finished third to last in the country in rushing yards, barely averaged three yards a carry. And then the passing game just took a turn toward the end of the season. And while it didn't always result in wins, it resulted in Temple being competitive against good teams. Temple Temple had leads against Houston and East Carolina, two teams that went eight and five in the final 90 seconds of those games. And both of those can be attributed to how good EJ Warner was as a passer. Against Houston, he had 486 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, 71% completion rate. Against ECU, 527 yards, 71% completion rate, five touchdowns, one interception. And then there was another game in that November where he defeated South Florida in convincing fashion, 54-28, off of 344 yards and two touchdowns on a 75% completion rate. EJ Warner, is he's going to be an all-conference quarterback, I think. And I think he has a good receiver core to operate. And Temple does a really good job with pass protection. They allowed under one sack per game last year. Then defensively, they're a team that really gets to the quarterback where they had uh, they had Leighton Jordan still on the roster. They did lose Darian Varner, who was one of their best pass rushers, who transferred to Wisconsin. But Leighton Jordan, who kind of plays that edge rusher position, is going to be key in lifting this pass rush. So this is a team that dominates the trenches, and they have good quarterback play. Now, everything else kind of needs to come in place still. They need better secondary. They need better running game. But I think just having a dominant quarterback can always get you in a good position in the AAC. So I am a big fan of what EJ Warner can bring to the squad. Uh, put, put you on the spot real quick. Do you have like a top three quarterbacks in the conference? Is it Frank Harris, Michael Warner, Bradley, Warner. Michael Bradley? Okay. okay. That's top three. All right. Next up on the schedule is Tulane uh, for North Texas. And this is also at Tulane. So we've already gone through Navy and Temple who are, are looking like challenging teams. Now you get Tulane, who just won a damn New Year's Six Bowl against USC. Uh, obviously, I think a big thing over the offseason, if I remember correctly, was them keeping Willie Fritz, him mm-hmm. saying, you know, I'm staying here, I'm you know, all that good stuff. W- w- do you think Tulane – I know they lost a lot of talent from last year. Do you think that they're going to be right back at the top? Yes, they have a really good foundation in returning almost the whole offensive line, so – Having several all-AAC guys, Sincere Hainsworth might be as good as any center in the country. He received some All-American nods last year from some selectors. Prince Pines, the left guard, he was first-team all-AAC last year. You have a really good foundation in the offensive line. And Michael Pratt returns. But the question with Tulane is, how much more is Pratt going to have to do with the offense this year? Because Michael Pratt last year, he was a good, serviceable quarterback where – he didn't make many mistakes. He had a 27 touchdown to five interception ratio. He had a pretty efficient completion rate other than that USC game. But and he was a good runner, too, where against USC, he had 83 rushing yards when his passing wasn't really working. Picked up some critical first downs in that Cotton Bowl and clutch situations. And he did the same thing against Kansas State last year, the other game where his passing wasn't really working. He had 87 rushing yards. He is a tough, powerful runner, even if he's not the fastest guy on the field. Just a good, cerebral, smart quarterback overall. But the question is, how much more is he going to have to do in the offense this year? Because he didn't have many games where he needed to throw 30 passes last year. Tulane had more games, I think, where he had under 200 passing yards and over 300 passing yards just simply because they didn't need him because Tajay Spears was so dominant out of the backfield. Yeah. But with Tajay Spears gone, is the returning line enough to pave pathways for the new running backs? They don't really have a starting running back established. They got said Shedro Louie from Liberty as a transfer and then two incumbent guys in Shady Clayton Johnson and Iverson Celestine. So they don't really have a feature back at this moment. I would guess it would be Shady Clayton Johnson, mm-hmm. but the question is, is going to be more of a pass is a pass run split going to move in favor of the pass because Michael Pratt is the most established guy on that offense. Now he does lose two of his top receivers, but I thought that was a pretty deep receiving core last year. We saw it against UCF with guys like Jaquan Jackson and Lawrence keys making plays. And then defensively, I do think Tulane's still in good shape other than the linebacking core, the linebacking core loses two of their, star players and Nick Anderson and Dorian Williams, who really spearheaded that unit last year, but they did replace with Tyler Grubbs, a former first team, also USA selection from Louisiana tech. 
and they have Corey Platt and Jesus Machado, who I think they had substantial playing time last year. I think they could arise into those roles, even if they can't fill the full shoes that Dorian Williams and Nick Anderson left behind. But overall, I think Tulane's in great shape. I think there's a reason that they're going to be front runners and probably preseason ranked. Memphis is next, and this is an interesting game because last year North Texas played Memphis on the road in a non-conference game, and it was a game that North Texas lost, but it was a game where Austin Ani threw two pick sixes, and Seth Luttrell after the game said, you know, or not after the game, but in that week's press conference said something along the lines of, if you look on paper, I think we actually had a great chance to win the game, and he's not wrong. They outgained them. They they. By the numbers, they outplayed Memphis. Um, this year, do you expect Memphis to be substantially better, or are they going to look about the same? I think the AAC clearinghouse of Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston might allow Memphis to look better as they lost to at least two of them off the top of my head last year. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure they yeah. lost to Houston. They didn't, play, they didn't play Cincinnati, but they lost to Houston and UCF, so yeah. – you clear those losses out of the way and you replace it with a lot of CUSA teams. I think that they, they should be better inherently by the schedule. The Ryan Silverfield era has been interesting at Memphis. He takes over for Mike Norvell after that Cotton Bowl appearance in 2019. And Silverfield, since the 2020 pandemic season, has been a 500 coach at Memphis. They've had some good talent. Seth Hennigan's a, another one of those upper echelon quarterbacks, I think, in the conference. He's going into his third year, and I think a lot of quarterbacks make that year two to year three leap is the most obvious one mm-hmm. that they make as starting quarterbacks. And Hennigan was a pretty good QB. He won a bowl MVP honors in the first responder bowl last year after a really efficient game against Utah State. I thought Hennigan did a lot of good work last year. The problem is Memphis didn't really have skill position guys that complement him. Memphis is a team. You look at their NFL talent – and Kenny Gainwell, Daryl Henderson, Tony Pollard, Antonio Gibson. They've put out so much NFL talent in terms of skill positions lately. Calvin Austin, DeMonte Coxey. They didn't have that last year. They only had three times where a receiver had 100 yards in a game and zero times when a rusher had 100 yards in a game. Wow. So they really need to amplify the talent around Hennigan this season. I think getting Blake Watson, a running back who's had – a thousand yard season at Old Dominion had over 900 yards last year. I think getting him in the transfer portal from Old Dominion is really going to help out. They got receivers from the transfer portal who are expected to be day one starters. Toski Dove, who is kind of a deep threat at Mizzou, and then Demir Blankumzi from Toledo. So I think that stocking that talent was the right choice for Memphis this offseason. And Memphis was had some bad defenses in recent years when their offense was great. 2018 specifically comes to mind when that team finished eight and six, despite Daryl Henderson scorching (laughs) earth every single time he touched the field. But I think Memphis's defense has been pretty solid recently. They were about a middle of the pack defense last year. They returned on their better pass rushers and Jalen Allen, Greg Rubin, who's been a force in the secondary and breaking up passes. Memphis is a team that I would put right below that Tulane UTSA tier where I think that there's enough talent. That's pretty high. To make this work, if I, I if I had to do a top five in the conference, it's Tulane, UTSA. Then I would probably put the SMU, yeah, Memphis, FAU, is how I would rank them. So I think that Memphis does have a winning record. They bounce back to that a plus five hundred territory this year after going six and six the last two regular seasons. I, I think Memphis has the right thing going with the squad. Next, uh, these next two teams we we did podcast with beat writers on um so we, we have a pretty good handle and also i mean utsa is up next i mean we just know utsa because yeah. north texas and utsa butt heads but um i do you i mean i think utsa is a really re- going to be a really good team again even losing zakari franklin even you know losing sincere mccormick uh getting frank harris back alone kind of just patches everything up their offensive line will also be better um, than last year where I was a big concern. Um, and I think defensively with Jeff Trailer, I mean, even with they change coordinators, they change coaches, it feels like their identities just says. So what do you think about UTSA this year? They're great. There's not too many holes in this team. 
I thought a lot of the, I thought their losses last year were pretty self-inflicted of blowing a 21 to seven lead at Houston because they con- convert a fourth and one yeah. Troy game. It was just turnover after turnover and they couldn't mm-hmm. score despite the offense completely outgaining them and outplaying them. <laughs> and yeah, I think that UTSA just had so many self-inflicted wounds, which cost them games last year, but overall this team's just stacked. Frank Harris, two-time CUSA Offensive Player of the Year. He could very well get that award in the AAC in his first year in that conference. Running game, I'm not concerned about because Kavorian Barnes did a great job last year. Offensive line, there's some retooling there, but I still think they have some of the pieces like Ernesto Almaraz as a center, mm-hmm. the all-conference guy there. DeCorian Clark, Joshua Cephas, that receiving duo is going to be one of the best in the conference where Zakari Franklin was a great luxury to have, but I don't know if it was a necessity it was ridiculous that they had those three as receivers. Like that is a that is a P five receiving core. That's better. That's probably I didn't look at it in depth, but it's probably a top fifteen receiving core in the country last year. Yeah, that is I ridiculous. Mean, yeah, not quite the Ohio State TCU tier no. what they had, but it, it was definitely up there. That's a lot of talent there. Then defensively. You do lose Clifford Chapman, who was a huge playmaker in the secondary, and same as Corey Mayfield Jr. Mm-hmm. And I think that that could be some of the question marks I would have is reloading the secondary in the cornerback position. But Rashad Wisdom returns. He missed about half the season last year with yeah. an injury. And Rashad Wisdom has been a ball hawk, heart and soul of the defense for so long. So you have him, Jamal Lagon, who was their leading tackler, and then Trey Moore, who was their best pass rusher. They're set in all areas of the defense. This team, just by returning talent alone, and Jeff Trailer's been a great coach. Yeah, UTSA, UTSA set for the AAC. I don't think there's going to be any year one adjustment that they need because I think they're already ready to compete for a conference title in a New Year Six Bowl. Now, a team in SMU, <laughs> SMU is interesting because I feel like the they more than anybody right now, at least from a fan perspective thinks that they should be the best team in this conference. And I think on paper, they also have the easiest schedule in the conference. They don't play UTSA. They don't play Tulane. uh, They also don't play somebody else off the top of my head. But a fairly easy schedule. Are you – and we talked about it. You have SMU a tier below Tulane and UTSA. What what are your thoughts on SMU this year? Do you think there's a chance they could – I mean, go what seven and one in conference with this schedule? Yeah, you do have it looks like a two and two non conference schedule you're going to be working yeah. with as Oklahoma and TCU are both road games. Then you have Louisiana Tech and Prairie View A and M in between those. And SMU has won some iron skillets recently and they played TCU pretty close last year. So that rivalry has been interesting to watch, but I do think that they go into AAC play with a two and two record. Yeah. Looking at the schedule, starting out with Charlotte, an ECU team that loses Holton Aylers, their starting quarterback, Keaton Mitchell, their starting running back and their top three receivers in terms of receiving yards last year. I think ECU is going to be a team that takes a bit of a slide this year. So I think that's a team that SMU can handle Temple, Tulsa, Rice, North, yeah, that North Texas, Memphis, Navy, <laughs> That is a super manageable. Have schedule. you have you looked at that schedule before? This and this is the first time I'm really <laughs> looking yes. at it. Yeah, yeah. SMU has never competed in an AAC championship before. Yeah, and they've had the talent. Those some of those teams with Shane Bouchelle were really good, and Tanner Mordecai the past few years too. SMU is a team that oftentimes starts hot and finishes cold, as we remember even dating back to 2019 i think they had that game yep. day against memphis where they were 7 and 08 and 04 and then there was last year a 2021 season on halloween i think they were 7 and 0 or 8 and 0 mm-hmm. going into that october 30th game against houston feels like they're always ranked after like 5 weeks yes and then at the end of the year things they lose to like a middling memphis team or something yeah. and then it just crashes from there but the thing with smu is the Preston Stone era is finally here. They've been waiting years for this to happen. It was, but Tanner Mordecai was such a good quarterback. You're not going to bench him for Preston Stone, but him transferring to Wisconsin opens a door for SMU to finally utilize their highest recruit ever at quarterback. 
we've seen a sample size of Preston Stone, but nothing really substantial, just 48 passes last year, two touchdowns. So we need to see more of what Stone is made of. I really like SMU's rushing game. They got Jalen Knighton. They have a lot of transfers from Miami where yeah. Rhett Lashley used to coach, both on both sides of the ball too, like Elijah Roberts and Jordan Miller on defense, on the defensive line. But they have a lot of transfers from Miami. I think Jalen Knighton's going to be a perfect piece because he's a bit of a receiving running back too. And he's going to be really helpful in what Rhett Lashley likes to run at SMU. Receiving core, they don't have Rasheed Rice anymore. They need a number one guy to step up. But I think that it's a super deep receiving core still. They just need to find a number one guy, whether that's Jordan Curley, who finished second on the team in receiving yards last year, or Jordan Hudson, the TCU transfer, who is just a little buried deep in that TCU stacked receiving core with Quentin Johnston and Darius Davis last year. I think that Jordan Hudson or Jordan Curley can become the guy because Rasheed Rice made up 33% of the receiving yards production last year. So they're going to need somebody to take off that load. Defensively, I have some more questions about SMU as they were not the best defense at times last year. I mean, they won a game 77 to 63 is all you need to know. Yeah, yeah, they did. But given their schedule, I think they should have about five, I think five starters on defense that are coming from the transfer portal. So it's a bit of a revamped unit. But I think that SMU, given their schedule, this is a team that, could finally make their first AAC championship game. Because if they go 7-1, and one, I don't know how the tiebreakers would work at that point, but well, Tulane and UTSA play each other. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's exactly what I was going to say, is they play each other. So if there's any slip-up, um, they're in. And this being a North Texas pot, like, hey, they don't even play at FAU either, and I know you're high on FAU, so there's mm-hmm. another one. Um, but this being a North Texas podcast – I'm going to go ahead and set unreal expectations for SMU, so that way, if they don't reach it, I can say it was a failure. Uh, if they don't go eight, no, I don't. I don't know what to tell you. This is if they don't make the conference championship game after the amount of time that they spent talking about going to the Pac-12, after the amount of time they spent saying this conference is not up to our standard, I'm just going to sit here and laugh at them. So there you go. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm ready for. Um. All right, last two. Uh, Tulsa, another team I don't know a ton about because as far as the AAC goes, they haven't been really prominent. I think they were prominent one year. 2020, um, they had yeah. Zayvon Collins who, honestly, other than like Ndamukong Sue, I couldn't think of a defender that just had as much impact. This dude would get a game-winning interception or a clutch yeah. sack every single game. It was insane. Tulsa won so many one-score games that year with Zayvon Collins just doing crazy stuff and all facets of defense, but they haven't been the same team since Collins got drafted by the Cardinals and Philip Montgomery finally got the boot last year after being on campus for quite some time and having, I think just two seasons above 500 2016 and 2020, but Tulsa they're breaking in a quarterback who we saw flashes up at the end of last year in Braylon Braxton. I will say for Braylon Braxton, since I never get to talk about Tulsa, I saw Braylon Braxton in high school at Frisco um, Independence. Man, that guy had a live arm. And the game I went to, they won 75 to 0. So I don't know if that was a great indicator of how he reads defenses. But yeah, when I saw him in high school, I was like, oh, that guy's going to Tulsa. He'll, He'll play there. He'll play. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of hype for him, especially after ending the season last year with two 300-yard passing performances, including one where he beat the Houston Cougars. So I think that Braylon Braxton, there's palpable hype around him as a starting quarterback this year. Now he needs offensive line protection because Tulsa had one of the worst offensive lines in all of college football last year. They had a pretty bad pass rush too. So not being able to thrive in the trenches was Tulsa's biggest problem. And their best players on their offensive line and defensive line both entered the transfer portal. So those are my concerns with Tulsa this year is trench warfare. Are they going to be able to thrive against some of these other teams in terms of the offensive line, defensive line? Because that was really a struggle for them last year. And Tulsa also lost a lot of guys in their receiving core. Keelan Stokes, Juan Carlos Santana had been some of the top guys for a while. So now you have Malachi Jones as the new number one receiver. They didn't bring anyone in from the transfer portal there. Running back, they did get Braylon Presley, 
the brother of Brennan Presley from Oklahoma State. So I think that they might have some talent at running back and to support Braxton in that area of the game, but they really need a better offensive line in order to compete this year. So I'm interested to see how year one of the Kevin Wilson era works. But I think Tulsa is probably going to be one of the bottom four teams in this league. Yeah, Tulsa also, I, I remember hearing this, but just because you brought it up, they did they lost their starting two tackles to Auburn, mm-hmm. both of them. Yes. So it's like, it's going to be tough to tough to fill those um, vacancies in the in the American. And the last team on North Texas schedule is UAB. Trent Dilfer is now the head coach. Uh, they've added a couple intriguing transfers, but personally, even though I've seen North Texas play UAB every year the past six, seven years, uh, I still don't know what to make of this version of UAB. So uh, what do you think? I don't think anyone does. We haven't really seen Trent Dilfer coach at the collegiate level before. He's bringing in a defensive coordinator from his high school too. So it's going to be a a definite twist, I think, from what we saw in the Bill Clark era and even Bryant Vincent era, which was an extension of the Bill Clark era. Now, the quarterback is new this year. They, they're going to have Jacob Zeno probably start. He started two games last year. They'll have Landry Liddy from Louisiana Tech compete for the position, but I think Zeno is going to be the guy who ultimately emerges number one. Former Baylor guy, too, who played in the 2019 Big 12 championship mm-hmm. game against Oklahoma when there were when Charlie Brewer and Gary Bohannon had some injuries in that game. So Jacob Zeno is probably going to be the starting quarterback. We saw him throw for 300 yards against UTSA last year, some mixed performances from him. So I need to see a bit of a larger sample size to know how he can thrive as UAB starting quarterback. But I do think that the running game should be in good shape just with the presence of Jermaine Brown jr. Alone. Even if you lose Dwayne McBride, who had the highest rushing average of any a thousand yard back last year, was pretty much top three in every rushing category. Jermaine Brown Jr. still had enough leftover usage to get almost 1,000 yards last season, and he played pretty well in that Bahamas Bowl when McBride sat. So I'm confident in their rushing game. They do lose all five offensive linemen starters from last year, which is pretty crazy. So (laughs) that's one thing I really notice about this UAB team. Defense, there's a lot of guys they lose to, like Noah Wilder, their star linebacker. They still have one of their four All-CUSA selections returning, and that's Fish McWilliams, who's the big nose tackle who clogs clogs it in the middle, does a really good job with that. So I think that he should provide enough to try to get a pass rush spark going on defense. And UAB's they've really made their mark on defense in recent years. They had one of the better passing defenses in the country last year, and that's really where UAB establishes their brand. But I think this year's team is such a wild card toss up with losing all those linemen, having a new starting quarterback in Jacob Zeno, not having that safety net in Dwayne McBride, who's going to put up 200 rushing yards every single game anymore, and losing some substantial talent in the linebacker room, et cetera. So I do think that UAB is a bit of a wild card this year. This team hasn't had a losing record since football was reinstated in 2017. But I think this year is going to be the toughest one yet to keep that streak afloat. Yeah. I mean, going from Bill Clark to Trent Dilfer just is a massive, I'm not even going to say a downgrade because we don't know what Trent Dilfer is. Maybe mm-hmm. he's great, but it's just a massive change in what we know about UAB at this point. So that's going to be interesting. All right. Those are the eight AAC games for North Texas. I said going in me putting my rational hat on, I think if North Texas can go three and five in this schedule, I think that's a win because you look at the non-conference schedule, there's a, you know, La Tech, FIU, and Cal, and then FCS. Like those, if they can go three and one in non-conference, three and five in conference, you get six and six in year one under Eric Morris. I think that's a really positive year. But now talking to you, now I'm scared that they're going to go like 0 and 8 or something, and it's like I don't know what's going to happen. But if we say, if you had to pick the three wins here, let's just say they win three games. If you had to pick the three wins here, which three are you taking for North Texas? I'll take Navy. I'll, I'll take Navy. Okay. I'll take Tulsa. And either UAB or Temple, one of those home games. I think Temple's on the road, if I'm not mistaken. It's a, it's a, it's a home game, but their home schedule is not easy. You got Memphis, UTSA, 
as two of their homes. Yeah, but they got Temple and UAB at home at least. Yeah. So if you no win one, one, I mean, if you win both of them, then it's, then you're four and four in conference. It's a great year. Three, if you can win one of those, I think that's the realistic path here. Is you get Navy, Tulsa, UAB probably, and then yeah, Temple. So I, I think they go three and one in non-conference schedule. Louisiana yeah. Tech kind of struggled in year one under Sonny Cumbie last year, although the Bulldogs could make some strides, but. I think they should be favored over FIU, Louisiana Tech, and then you should beat your FCS opponent. Always. Yeah. It's it's funny because we joke North Texas left Conference USA and then scheduled – had a La Tech yeah. and FIU on the schedule. So we're just extending Conference USA a little bit more there. Um, Cal is a manage- – Cal at home, that is yeah. a manageable week one opponent. Very, very much manageable. It's not – I don't know what the spread is going to be. I should probably have looked that up at some point, but I would assume it's like probably Cal, like what, seven, something like that, something reasonable, seven and eight, you know, somewhere in that seven to 10 range, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't think Cal's, I mean, when North Texas played Cal, when was that? Ooh, 2019. 2019? Damn. Yeah. 2019, it was a manageable game. Like it was North Texas didn't look overpowered. They didn't they didn't look overwhelmed. That Cal team, I have no clue what Cal looks like this year yet. But like that was a Cal team that only played defense, had no offensive talent, and Cal just kind of wore them down uh, to an extent. So it's like there's a and this is intentional. Like I'm I we know the athletic directors and stuff like that. They did this on purpose. There's a reason you can go four and zero in this non conference schedule if you know things go right for you. So that would be a real interesting turn. Is if you're four and zero. You play Navy, you're five and zero. You play Temple, you're six and zero. I'm just saying, Steve. Yeah, Steve, I don't know. I've talked myself into six and zero now. Yeah, we saw Houston and UCF are kind of doing similar things to their non-conference schedules in year one of Big Twelve, kind of trying to keep that bull bull hopes alive and Early. not scheduling yeah. a really tough non-conference opponent in there. So yeah, I think that's good to call from North Texas in year one of the AAC especially in a transitioning time for the program to do that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Steve. Um, thank you for joining me, man. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, like I said earlier, uh, y'all can check out Steve's work, uh, SB nation underdog dynasty. Uh, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, at S underscore Hellwick. There we go. S underscore Hellwick. Um, but yeah, Steve, thanks for joining me, man. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me on here. Appreciate it. Sure. Well, 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 <laughs> Damn it, Bruni! Have I'm you seen uh, Have you seen that TikTok where it's a uh, uh, the Southland South Park episode? It's a uh, Eric Hartman. Boo! No, no. Okay, you gotta get on TikTok. That's me. No, I don't need to get on TikTok because I will never get off of it. That's why well, I, I don't. Get, I don't have TikTok. I get on the Instagram Reels. That's, That's why I had to get off Instagram. <laughs> I deleted Instagram for that reason. I'm really sorry. That that's that's bad. Man, look at Colin Mitchell. It's the first time late since Rice. I was know? about to say this is this and Rice. That's two strikes, buddy. Two strikes. That's two you know, stri- honestly, that's pretty good over the course of eight years. Um, yeah, eight years, Colin. Are we that old? I don't know. I'm just assuming 2015 with everything because that's when college started. We'll say six. We'll say seven. 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 Hold on. Um. No. So my my uh. Phone was at like ten percent last night, and I was in bed, and I was like, "It'll be fine." It wasn't fine. Woke up, woke up in a panic. I like woke up naturally, and I was like, "Oh, this is nice." And I was like, "Wait, if I woke up naturally, it's either two o'clock, yeah, or it's really early." And it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't in between. Uh, I got up and I was like, "Oh, it starts at eleven thirty. I'll be all right." So I brushed my teeth, sat down, scrolled through your messages, and I was like, "Why hasn't he called me?" And I was like, "Oh, it was at 11. I was like, dang it. Oh boy. Um no, Steve was really good. It was it was it was long, about 40 minutes, but we went through every all the teams in the conference. I'm gonna be able to timestamp them and everything. Big. So, or not all teams in the conference, all teams on our schedule. Yeah. And it kind of scared me a little bit. Whenever you listen to it, you'll know. But it's he's high on like Temple and uh, high on Temple. Memphis. And so I'm like, shit. Okay. But all right. Um, what are we doing? I don't know. You told me to join, and I was expecting to get just chastised. Yeah, I mean, I'm leaving all that in. That's perfectly fine. Like I mean, the people need to know why I wasn't here. You know, um, uh, we need to talk. We need to talk about the care package, Colin. <laughs> that's that's why. That's, you're that's here. why I'm here. That's why. 
you're here because there has been the an atrocity. There's been a uh, I don't know what happened, who we wronged. But let me share my actually no, I'm not gonna share my screen. So Colin and I have been texting over the past two weeks. We had JD Davis on last week. We were joking with him. We're like, hey man, mm-hmm. how'd you get one of those care packages? North Texas sent you. You know, how yeah. how'd you do that? He said, Oh, you just keep tagging on me jokingly and stuff. But it's pretty clear. Somebody from the you know, athletic department reached out. It was like, hey, here's a here's a care package. Here you go. I was like, all right, JD, I can live with that. I see some other people start getting them. And I was like, okay. They're they're North Texas alumna alumnus. So it kind of makes sense. I don't know the, the technical word, but yes. They went to UNT. They went to UNT. Well, here's the thing, Colin. We went to UNT. <laughs> we did. We did go to we, UNT. And I'm tired of I'm tired of the Mayborn. I'm tired of everybody acting like we didn't go to UNT. Yeah. We are doing journalistic work right now. This all goes back to me not donating that five dollars at graduation. Not checking. Oh, that you didn't box. you didn't donate the five? I did not tech check that box. No. That that could be that could be it. So my UNT social credit's down right now. <laughs> Look, we we know people that aren't even journalists anymore that they reach out to be like, hey, hope you're doing well. Hey, you want to come speak? Hey, this and that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm over here. Yeah, you're doing stuff. Trying my best. Yeah. And I can't get a care package. Yeah, Colin I gave up can't... on the journalism part except for this. But I Colin got all my press can't... passes over there. Yeah, Colin can't get a care package. Mm-hmm. We covered some of the biggest moments in North Texas history. Check out that picture right behind you. That's Grant right there. We covered a freaking NCAA tournament winning team in Indiana. Yep. yep. We were there. We stole these signs. We did. <laughs> Yeah, mine are over there. We did we stole those signs. signs. I I stole signs from the the Heart of Dallas Bowl from 2015. Like, they're, they're right there too. Yeah, we've been mm. we've been there since day one, and we can't get a care package, North yeah. Texas. So what we did is we accrued a list, <laughs> a list of everybody who's gotten a care package. Yeah. And I'm not going to say whether it's right or wrong. A lot of these people are doing great things. They're all great people, I'm sure, 100%. Starting with JD and Sonoy. Those are our boys, right? Yeah. Those are our boys. We love them. So they deserve yeah. a care package. All these people deserve care packages. I just want a care package. I don't understand. We've waited too long. No, I lied. One of them doesn't deserve a care package. Oh, God. When we get there. When we get there. All right, here's the list of people who have gotten a care package. What are, are we, we, we going to do like a thumbs like? Are, should we do like a thumbs up or a thumbs down like Caesar style? I thought we were just. I don't. I thought you didn't want to get into the weeds. No, it's it's not the weeds. It's like a. It's like a. It's like a have have. Are we on that same level? Okay, you know? on the same level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like right. Ben Baby, for example. Ben I'd Baby. say we're probably not on the same level. You know, Ben Baby is on the eighties pn. Ben Baby. Good. Yeah. Good thumbs job, up, Ben. Good job, Ben. That's, that's my guy. I've talked to him twice. Yeah. Good guy. Uh, JD Davis. 100%. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Sonoy Valente. Thumbs up. We love mm-hmm. him. Uh, GoMeanGreen.com was a little interesting. And I don't know if that's just JD tweeting from the GoMeanGreen, but I don't think it is. I think it's a separate account. GoMeanGreen.com tweeted out their care package. And I'm like, I don't I know. What, I account. need to know what that means. Because if that's everybody at GoMeanGreen.com and you still didn't get one, that's. <laughs> no, it's like GoMeanGreen doesn't even have a name. They just sent out a care package to a message board site. The address Which we listed. love, we love Golden Green. Yeah, but it's just it's it out. They said, "Who runs this?" DMs them. They say, I'll give so a thumbs happy. up because people on there are dedicated. Yeah, we love them. All yeah. right, shout out Golden Green. Uh, Mallory Hartley and Ashley Pickle. Thumbs, thumbs up. up. Dave Dave Campbell's North Texas alums still doing work with North Texas. You know, yeah. That that's a big thing. I feel like that's underrated here is people that do stuff still covering North Texas. Yeah, us. Mm-hmm. Like we check both boxes, alumni, yeah. and yep. cover North Texas still. Yep. Like we're checking those boxes. You don't even Kyle have Eumann. to. You don't even have to. Kyle. We Eumann. don't have to. We don't. Kyle humans. Kyle humans. Uh, thumbs up. We respect Kyle humans over here. We love Kyle. He's doing a great job with the Cowboys. The Dallas Wings, Kyle uh, Colin. Yeah. The yeah. Dallas Wings this might is, be this, the first one. This is the I'm first thumb. This is the first thumbs down. This is this is. It's like if, if the Mavericks got one, like what? Why are the down. Dallas Mavericks or Dallas Wings getting? A care package. Yeah. Who are you giving a, who are you giving a care package at the Dallas Wings? Like, 
Thumbs like down. If, it's one thing if Jalen Mitchell coached there or something like that, but this yeah. is this just, is just the Wings organization. This is just you trying to get clout. Yeah, That's not good enough. Is. Not good uh, enough. that brings us to our next uh, our next sports team, the Frisco Rough Riders. Thumbs down. Thumbs down. Yeah. What? What? What are we doing here? You know, I've been to a Rough Riders game. I don't see any UNC anything any anywhere. They're not promoting them. Yeah, we don't have a baseball team at North Texas. What are we doing? Come on. <laughs> we don't we don't support baseball yeah. in North Texas. What, what is this? Uh, now we're just giving it to the Frisco Rough Riders. Frisco is a, a nice 45 minutes away from Denton. It's it's less, but we'll say 40 30. minutes away. We'll say 30, but Colin, it's not 30. I've it's driven 30 that road a billion times to, okay. to get to you and McKinney. And I know it's closer than McKinney, but it's not 30. Um, I don't care what the phone says. This is the one that's a person that's a thumbs down. <laughs> Man, I'm not gonna be able to pronounce that first Michaela name. Michaela, mm, that's how you say it. Okay, I was gonna Lesa. say Michaela. Michaela. That, that wouldn't have made that wouldn't have made the cut. Um, okay. only reason, shout out you being a UNT alum, but SMU alum. Not also gonna cut it. SMU alum. You can't not gonna be, cut it. I don't care if you wear you got your undergrad, your masters, that it doesn't matter because yeah. in the tweet, Michaela says. I'm also an SMU alum. Like you didn't have to say you're yeah. SMU. Now, you now I can support. Yeah, now I can support. So before she's like, oh, I got, I can put this alongside all of my SMU stuff. You know what? You know what happened to that care package when she got it? She took a picture and then threw it away. Threw it away. <laughs> yeah. Michaela threw it away. In the trash can under her SMU. <laughs> oh my god. Like. <laughs> uh, like it's not even like a house divided type thing. Like this isn't like the husband wife, you know, type. This is like both hers, SMU North Texas. And I'm not gonna lie, I can't. North Texas SMU, we can, we don't we don't do that. All right. You know, yeah, it's 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 almost like uh someone getting a UT like we're graduating from UTSA, and then like getting one, and that would yeah. be probably equally as bad. Yes. So yeah, that's the third thumbs down in a row. <laughs> Sorry, Michael. I'm sure you're a great person. Texas State representative. I don't know anything about her i don't know if she's great whatever um the next ones are all alumni and got people that do um sports stuff in the area mm-hmm. i think they're all alumni from what i understand mm-hmm. chris mikoski freelance sports broadcaster not gonna lie don't know anything about him has about mm-hmm. 1600 followers on twitter looks like he's a good person sure good for you chris but again now this is this is when the the lines get a little grayed out. Again, know? this is this is it's not like it's not out. like we're not doing anything here. We're putting our heart into this. It is July eleventh, Colin, and we're making North <laughs> Texas content. We are making North Texas content. Like Ben Baby's up at ESPN doing big things. The Bengals, awesome. He's not making North Texas content. If you yeah, looked we- up the tweets of all of these people, not all of these people, not including you know the people we gave thumbs up earlier, but of like. The last – I'll go through the list here. Sean Bass, sports radio host. Nohili, uh, Noeli Galindo, uh, digital marketing, marketing for the Rangers. Uh, Layla Rahimi, sports anchor for NBC Chicago. Ted Emmerich, ESPN play-by-play guy. You look at the tweets of all the last six people here. When's the last time they tweeted about North Texas? Call I'm scrolling call. through Chris right now. When's the last time they I saw a CFL tweet oh. just now. They're and not guess what? in the trenches – Interviewing people about AAC football. It's not even about Mason. Oh, I bet he hasn't even tweeted about Mason since 2019. Let's see if he's ever even tweeted about Mason. This is bad. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't want to single out Chris, but I'm going to do it. Right. He's going to do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm already, I'm already here. Oh, Lord. Um, Chris, uh, all these people are great people. Look, I, the bottom list is a little gray area. We're not giving them a thumbs down, right? We're cool. But I'm just saying. We have put in the legwork over the past six years. Mm-hmm. We are UNT alumnus, alumnus, whatever the word is, alumni. Yeah, no tweet about Mason Fine, by the way, zero. And we can't get a DM. Our DMs are open now. They are. I will say they weren't before, but you know, they open initially, but like two weeks ago, I opened them up. Yeah, yeah. And we can't get a DM being like, hey, where can we send a care package? You know what? Now I want two care packages. This Colin. is my plea. This is my plea to whoever is the care package connoisseur. Yeah, who, what do who we have to do? <laughs> who, who decides this? I want two care packages. I want one for Colin. I want one for me. That's yeah. what I want. 
I want. I thought, I thought that was always what was on the table. I mean, for being honest. Oh yes, but I just at the very least we should have got one. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. But that's the list of people who have care packages. We will continue to update y'all on the care package counter. We'll have a little yeah care package counter. Yeah, we'll have a little ticker at the bottom <laughs> of the care package people. Shout out to all of North Texas alumni. We we yeah. love you all. Y'all don't actually great. hate these people. Uh, I just don't hate, hate that I don't people. have. I envy you. Frisco Riders. Yeah, no, actually, no. I hate the Frisco Rough Riders. No, we yeah, might I, hate the Frisco. Yeah, Rough I can say. I can say I hate the Frisco Rough Riders. Just kidding. Yeah, I could definitely do that. That's <laughs> for getting a care package instead of us. This is complete jealousy. Um, for everybody else on this list, everybody else, we are just jealous. The Dallas Wings, you know, you know, hope y'all do great. But it's, again, it's like, did the Mavericks get one? Did the Cowboys get one? Cowboys like, got no. the deal. You know what I mean? They already got the. They got the. J- Jerry don't care about care packages. Did Dak Prescott get one? Like, mm-hmm. what is this? Everybody should have just got one then. Just hand them out. I just... And then you have the audacity... <laughs> to tweet out, you can buy your Take Flight shirts here. I'm not buying my Take Shirt Flight. I would have if they I'm weren't not. given out for free. I only buy North... All my new clothes are only North Texas clothes at this point. I haven't bought a new new shirt in that wasn't North Texas in probably four years. Yeah. So that's that's how Kong lives, in case y'all yeah. wonder. I mean, y'all have seen this shirt at least 847 times. I don't even times. have that shirt anymore. No, I have the shirt, but it's in a box. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's that in a box. Incredible. That's when Grant gave that to us, like, in the 2018 season or something like that. Yes. Remember? Grant, mm-hmm. We interviewed Grant. Grant was like, hey, you know what? Get these guys some shirts. Get these guys some shirts. We were yeah. like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. We got shirts. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. look at us. We can't even get a care package. You kind of think about it. All these care packages to all these media people. Is that a little, I don't know, unethical? Just kidding. <laughs> unethical. Just kidding. No, I took. We hey, we took shirts. You know, from Grand Hatcher interview. We, we, so, <laughs> we are not, not above bribery. I'm not here. even gonna say. No, no I love sir. shirts. No, sir. We are slogging we it out the, here as journalists. We took you know? shirts. Um, and I would call Jared Mosley right now, but we're not on the the Ren Baker level where I just call him and he he's going to pick up probably. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've never cold called him before. That would be crazy, but I'm sure he's busy. Um and How I will not be calling Ren Baker after your, everything. That he's would going be through. yeah, that would be tough. <laughs> what was your first cold call to Ren? Oh. I'm I'm not going to talk about what we talked about, but it, he cold called me once. And I was like, "Hello?" I remember that. Like, and but, I, just, but, I, but I was asking what your cold call was. A lot then. of stuff. We went through a lot of stuff. But I don't remember what the cold call was. It was probably early on. It was probably – I called him during the Grant stuff two years ago when SMU was a rumor. Mm-hmm. I was like, hey, man, is this happening? He was like, no. I was like, okay, good. That was our conversation. Um, but anyways, yeah. So I know it's not Jared Mosley here um, making these decisions. But maybe just whoever makes these decisions is only looking up – I don't know, prominent people, like they're Googling prominent people from North Texas and just sending them care packages. Um, and I'm, we're could not someone there. Have it, could someone have it out for us? Think about who we've wronged. Mm-hmm. Think about who we've wronged, all right? There is not... a chance, there's a chance somebody could have it out for us. I'm not putting it past them. Kyla right. Powell? gonna be like some really obscure name that like we've mentioned like four times or always gets like it's gonna be like andrew mcnulty is gonna somehow be like like <laughs> alec morris i'm just yeah i'm thinking of all the people that we've said sucked jalen like brown somehow decky johnson decky johnson um but anyways that's our that's our care package rant yeah we've been sitting on that for three weeks hope yeah. y'all had enjoyed that um I'm glad I could come on here and do something. Yeah, I'm glad Colin could contribute to this episode of the podcast um, in some way, shape, or form. Um, but that's it, I think. Uh, I'll let Colin go listen to what me and Steve talked about because I think it was pretty interesting. Uh, I'll all, say, all I'll say is I left that conversation both feeling good and feeling bad at the same time. I feel like the variance that I now have in the eight-game schedule – is a lot higher than mm. where I was. Like I could see this team going one and seven, and I could see them also going like five and three. 
Yeah, that was even my question when I if I was going to join is like, what's the outsider's perspective that doesn't cover the team on a oh, day? Don't worry, I asked him that. That's good. I'll be sure to listen for that answer. Yeah. So um, there you go. Uh, thank you for everybody uh, joining the podcast, uh, for listening, for checking us out. Um, continue to use that home field apparel discount code because who needs a care package, right? You got home field. Just go click it. No, no, no. no. Wait, wait, wait. We can't say that yet until we, it is confirmed that we are not getting a care package. Okay, you're right. We still want to care. But package. yeah, still use home field though, for sure. Still use home field. Yeah, yeah still, still use home field. I'm waiting on some like, I might look at some Kansas State stuff. With Tyler and Tang over there, mm. basketball. Mm. That's tech? good. You gonna you gonna you gonna stoop down to Tech? That's tough. I don't know if I can do that. It's a little, the wound's a little fresh after seeing Grant in that red pullover. At, yeah, but I'll Tyler never Perry, that. I can support at at uh, Kansas State. I'm waiting for my stuff to get here. It'll get there, Colin. Don't worry. I just want to. I want the hoodie. I already have a whole bit played out in my mind for our next ad read. <laughs> for our next ad read, yeah, that's yeah. what we're waiting. It's it's supposed to be here soon, I guess. So, all right, well, there you go. Next week, be on the lookout. New ad read coming. Yeah, be be yeah. It's it's basically better than the podcast itself. So, new ad read dropping. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, that's all we got for y'all today. Hope y'all enjoyed the episode. Uh, leave us a like, comment, share, subscribe. Uh, check us out on the Republic of Football podcast feed. Um, but the YouTube is our main thing is what we really enjoy doing. We really enjoy giving y'all the visuals so you can see Colin in a dark room. Um, you can see my camera get out of focus half the time. And uh, yeah. All that I'll be in a light room soon though. Oh, don't, don't tease them, Colin. Yeah. Don't tease them. Here we go. Don't try to buy a also, house, folks. Count your chickens before they hatch. they hatch. Hey, you know, there's one step left. Well, a lot of things, you know, how a lot of things can go wrong. Things, oh, trust me. I've been hit with a ringer. <laughs> Just one haymaker after another. All right. We'll talk to y'all later. <laughs>